It's Scary Parish. It's Thursday, June 6, 2019. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlanda is here with me, and we have a few different things to get to, including some rule changes that are going to affect the sport. But I want to start with the big news of the day, and that's that former Arizona assistant Book Richardson was sentenced to three months in prison after pleading guilty in January to a federal bribery charge. So, Norlander, let's start here because you were in Manhattan at the courthouse earlier today. Um, For people who might not have followed this case on anything other than a surface level, what did Book Richardson get caught doing? What did he confess to doing? Does he belong in federal prison? All right, you know what? I'm going to take those in the proper order here. So, what did he get caught doing? Uh, A number of things, and if you're an avid podcast listener, I know you're well aware of this, but let's hit on this because it is a significant headline, um, I think, in the history of college athletics. What we had here was history-making, and I think we're going to get a repeat of it on Friday with Lamont Evans of formerly of Oklahoma State and South Carolina, and I think we'll get it again with Chuck Person in Auburn, but I'll save that for just a couple minutes down the road here. Uh, Book Richardson was caught on videotape and on wiretap discussing and agreeing to ship Arizona players and prospects who would, in theory, become Arizona players to Christian Dawkins' fledgling sports management company, uh, which was called Living Out Your Dreams, or Lloyd for short. At the time, Richardson, every assistant coach, many of the men who were eventually charged, had no idea that the company was only funded because of uh, government money. They had no idea what was actually happening here. So Richardson was caught on video twice accepting payments of $5,000 in June of 2017, uh, and in July of 2017, accepting $15,000 Now, he pled guilty to conspiracy to commit bribery. One count did he plead guilty to, and that's what he got hit with, just one count here. Um, That happened back in January. The sentencing didn't happen all the way until Thursday. Um so he confessed, in fact, in court today. He, so what happens here, and I can't give you the legal jargon on all this, GP, but what happens is when these uh, plea deals take place and uh, the lawyers have to send what they have to send to the other attorneys and, and, the, and to the courts and all that, uh, there, is, there are different types of statements that have to be made. And when you are pleading guilty, you have to, the, the defendant, uh, him or herself, has to say uh, what you are pleading guilty to and has to use specific language. And apparently whatever Book Richardson had filed was actually absent this specific sentence because the prosecuting attorneys asked him to say it today before proceedings even kind of got it started in earnest. He said, quote, I accepted money for arranging meetings with student athletes. I set up meetings for Christian Dawkins, end quote. So although that's two sentences, apparently for the matter of the record and and uh, and leading to his sentencing, which in- included a three-month incarceration, that was uh, an important sentence nonetheless. Does he deserve it? Parrish, I don't think that Book Richardson should be going to prison for this, but I do acknowledge that the crime here is not to be pushed aside. I would think you would agree with me. He agreed. He had a $20,000 bribe. That is a significant amount of money. I want to touch on Bland real quick in a few minutes as well. Tony Bland, he got probation. Tony Bland will not be going and serving any time in prison. He was connected to $4,100. Book Richardson is going to prison for three months, and he'll be going in the middle of July, not just because the disparity of money was greater, but uh, U.S. District Judge Edgardo Ramos said, it, it's not just the money amounts here. It's the fact that because Ramos even asked the uh, the government attorneys, when did Book Richardson really get involved in this conspiracy? And they said that he he first met one of the he, he knew Christian Dawkins for a while. Introductions to Manu Sud happened in March of 2017, but in earnest, it really started in May, continued all the way through September. And so Ramos's reasoning was this was uh, months long. 
the second meeting in which he got $15,000, according to Book Richardson, to facilitate the recruitment of Javon Quinterly to Arizona, that was catalyzed by Richardson. It was not Dawkins seeking him out. It was not the undercover agents. It was actually Richardson going to do it. So the fact that it was multiple occasions, it was a, a lot of money, it was happening um, months apart, and that he was on a $5,000 per month retainer for Dawkins, and that was scheduled to continue happening. The only reason why it didn't, of course, he, like so many others, were arrested. So um, I don't dismiss the bribery amount and all that, but at the heart of this, what we have here is a college basketball assistant who is going to spend time in federal prison for actions that in their infancy, in their initiation, were believed to be nothing more than NCAA violations. And that's why I thought actually Thursday was a fairly historic day. Um, As for whether he belongs in federal prison or not, I mean, it does seem crazy that a college basketball coach for doing college basketball things could could end up spending three months in federal prison and given that i've known book you know probably for about a decade i mean well before i mean i knew him when he was i first i shouldn't say i knew him but i met him for the first time when he was still with the new york gauchos before sean even hired him to be on staff at Xavier. I think if you go back and look, I did a column from Peach Jam with like a sort of a notebook thing. And one of the things that I wrote about, I don't think Book would confirm it at the time, but I had heard it and I did write it, was that, you know, after the summer was over, he was going to join Sean Miller's staff at Xavier. So I I don't wish any of this on Book. I don't take any joy in, 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 if I don't find any joy in any of this, it is ultimately a sad story because whether he is, Going to jail for three months or three years, the truth is his career as he knew it um, is done. He'll never, I would assume, have a job like the job he once had. And and the rest of his life, from a earnings potential perspective, could be difficult. At the very least, it's going to be more difficult um, than it was two years ago. But I will say, um, it is kind of a scummy thing that he was doing. You know, you, you you're taking money and... Um, leveraging it against the trust of young people who look up to you, who who trust you. And you are, for a certain amount of money, going to guide them in, in the ways that you have control over them to somebody who may or may not be equipped to to do good by them with little regard for whether the person you're guiding them to is equipped to to do good by them. And so on a very basic level, would you agree? Like, I I don't, I'm not trying to suggest Book Richardson's the devil or even um, the only college basketball assistant who, you know, was involved in something like this. But on a, on a, on a very basic level, it is kind of a scummy thing to do. Without a doubt. I mean, Richardson admitted to as much parish on, on Thursday, both in court as he gave his, his plea, his thoughts to the judge before he knew what his fate was going to be. And then uh, when he spoke with me briefly outside the courthouse after getting sentenced, um, he said, I have no rhyme or reason for the decision that was made. I made it. Um, He apologized to the student athletes, to the players. He apologized to the former players that he had coached, made reference that he had heard from, from many of them ever since all of this happened. But you are, if you really think about what happened here, 
you know, he is agreeing in the spring and summer of 2017 to say, I'm going to manipulate the destination destinations and the career uh, choices of these 17, 18, 19, 20-year-olds that I will be coaching or that I'm recruiting now. Uh, and that is, you know, that is a very below board thing. And he realizes that now um, his lawyer, GP, by the way, said, you know, he did not give any of this 20,000 to Quinterly, Quinterly's representatives, uh, any Arizona players. None of this money went there. Um, his lawyer said that he felt remorse afterward. Now, they're not under oath when they're giving all this stuff. So it's very possible it's true, but they're, they're not being held to any sort of standard there. But his lawyer did say that Richardson felt remorse after accepting the bribe money, and he did not want to endanger the eligibility of Arizona's players or prospects. So that's why he never actually ended up delivering the money. But you can easily say, you know, he was on a $5,000 a month retainer. There were no signs that any of this stuff was going to slow down. And he was caught on wiretap saying, amongst other things, I know you're well aware of, but just as a reminder to our listeners, you know, Richardson said that he was having financial issues um, and was still so concerned about keeping Arizona competitive in recruiting that he was draining money from his retirement account. So there were different reasons why uh, he was having issues with all of that. And, you know, he is um, he is absolutely... Uh, you know, cautionary tale is a trite and cliche term, but he is that at the very least. I think Lamont Evans and Chuck Person will also be that. But um, I know you have more questions. I'll just I'll just tag this with this real quick as we evolve this conversation, GP. I got a chance to speak with Richardson briefly outside the courtroom before he knew what was going to happen. Um, had his wife there, family members, a couple friends. Uh, he was in, you know, optimistic spirits. Uh, he was very aware of, of all the reports about everything that had been happening, obviously. He has not been living with his head in the sand and all of that. And when – I'll tell you what. I thought going in that if he was going to get jail, it might be about a month at most, only judging off of what Bland happened. And when, they, and when Ramos said it was going to be three months, I mean, his wife was extremely emotional. All the people that were there for him in that courtroom, I mean, it looked brutal in there. And you really got a real sense of it. And yet, Parrish, as I hand this over to you, I got there a bit early. And before Richardson got there, there was a guy who was involved in a billion-dollar Ponzi scheme uh, who had to be put up in chains on shackles on the ankles and all this stuff had had a woman who was there for him who was crying but it was like it was like a hardcore scene and it, it, it did stick out to me the juxtaposition uh, particularly of what this of what this judge and these judges see on an everyday basis of, of, of you see a guy uh, who was involved in something like extremely significant. Apparently there was another person involved in this who completely fled. It's a huge story that I have no idea about, but I asked one of the lawyers what was happening. And then you have Book Richardson come in, the dichotomy between both of these things, but that's the justice system for you. I just couldn't help but think about the scene I saw with the defendant in the first case literally being brought to the elevator in all sorts of shackles and handcuffs, a bearded strong guy kind of escorting him out of there. And then you got Bookerson showing up in a suit. He's a former college coach. Um, it was it was a little bit of a commentary unintentionally on the justice system and I think how uneven it can be at times. So Book Richardson is sentenced to three months, and at some point he exits the courtroom. And you're there. Adam Zagoria is there. And, um, it, and I'll let you walk us through it or at least clarify it because you were there. I weren't. I wasn't. But Adam and you both subsequently tweeted that Adam asked Book Richardson at some point, um, 
do you believe Sean Miller knew that Arizona players were being paid or some version of that question? Mm -hmm. And he answered, quote, you've got to ask him that. He's not on trial. I was on trial. So when I saw that quote from Zags and I saw it from you, I, I, you guys are both accomplished and respectable reporters. So, you know, I made, I, I think, a pretty obvious point. Um, if the answer is no, why not just say no? Like, why, mm-hmm. if the answer is no, why would you say, well, you have to ask Sean that? He was, he's not on trial. I was on trial. Like, if the question is, Sean Miller, do you believe, do you know, do you think Sean Miller knew Arizona players were being paid? If the answer is actually no, don't you just say, of course not, Adam. You know, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I'm the one who did wrong. Sean Miller did nothing wrong. Sean Miller didn't know anything. Like, why not answer it in that way as opposed to say, you've got to ask him that. He's not on trial. I was on trial. For instance, let's say one of my best friends was on radio for some reason being questioned about me. And the person and the the host asked one of my best friends, um, do do you think Gary Parrish is cheating on his wife right now? I would hope my friend would say, no, I I don't think that. But if my friend actually said, listen, you got to talk to Gary about that. I would be like, what? Why would you like, (laughs) you know, like it'd be like, what? What are you doing? So my point was simple. If the answer is no, just say no. If the answer is no, most people would say no. So I tweeted that. And then, uh, I don't know if you saw this, but Book Richardson tweeted at me. And he said, Gary, I did say no. And I was like, what? What do you mean you did say no? Because I just read the quotes from Zags and from Norlander, and they're saying you you had an opportunity to say no, but you didn't say no. And what I find out quickly is that after the interaction in Manhattan, he, Book, sent a direct message to Zags, and the direct message was a statement and in the statement book said he quote had no knowledge of sean miller paying players or attempting to pay them which is like um a pretty definitive answer but certainly not the answer that he gave outside the courtroom and certainly it doesn't um it doesn't jibe with what he's caught on a wiretap saying because what he's caught on a wiretap saying is that sean miller bought deandre aden and sean miller was taking care of Raleigh Hawkins. So first, just to clarify the situation outside of the courtroom, Adam Zagoria asked Book Richardson if Sean Miller knew Arizona players were being paid. Did Book at that point ever say, no, Sean Miller did not know anything or anything like that? Not that I heard. Now, let me just quickly establish what happened here. So Book gets sentenced to three months in prison. This is a life-changing thing. I mean, the the attorneys wanted 18 to 24 months. The judge went way under, uh, but still, like it happens, he's standing up in the courtroom. He's got a thousand mile stare. His wife is next to him. They go, they leave the courtroom. They go into the hallway. They're in the corner, like perish. Like it's 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 a it's a life changing moment. Okay, so uh, trying to do my job but be respectful as a human being, you know, sure. I, I let him. I let him. They get on their own elevator. They go down, and then I'm gonna try and get him when he gets outside the courthouse. Leaves the courthouse some some moments later. Um, I say, book, if you're, if you're wanting here, I want to give you the opportunity. This is the first time that you really have the chance to speak on your own terms, uh, about what just happened in the past year and a half, et cetera, et cetera. So he gave me a, he gave me a quote. It's in the story. You can read it on cbsports.com and all of that. I asked him a couple more questions, which were shorter answers. And then his wife, uh, is with me and there's 
court reporter. I think someone from the Post was there as well. But his wife said, that's it, guys. Thanks. And so, fine. It was about a minute and a half, maybe two minutes worth of talking. Understand, it's uh, to even get that is fine. But Zagoria, and I was going to ask him about Sean Miller, but but his wife was was pretty adamant, and I wanted to respect their space. But Zagoria hops in, and he asks a question, which is a valid question, given what was given put up put forth in the trial. And he says, you know, book, do you think Sean Miller knew that Arizona players were getting paid? And as he's asking this, I, I kind I was walking, you know, stride with stride with book, and then I had kind of stepped away. So I'm still there, but I'm just out of earshot at the start of it. So I have about a four second gap on my trance on my uh, on my recording that that I don't have uh, where he says, "Come on, Adam," but I heard it. And for me, this is my interpretation, Parrish. So first of all, I did not hear Book Richardson say no when he said this. Okay, and he had and the by, opportunity. I, I should say he. You say he didn't say no, or at least you didn't hear it. I've also talked talked to Adam Zagoria this afternoon and Adam says he did I asked him the question he could have obviously just said no Sean Miller didn't know anything that is not what he said yeah and so uh the way I took Book's response was one you know we just said we're done here and two it's Zagoria and Book have known each other for a long time Book has New York roots Zagoria has been based in New York and, and written about New York area basketball forever and it was like Come on, man. You're going to ask me this question on the record right now. I just got a prison sentence, et cetera, et cetera. Like, you know, this is now not the time. As a reporter, it is the time. You can ask the question. But given the dynamics of the interview that was just had and the way that they were trying to wrap things, I think that's what happened. Why he didn't, I don't know. It's also like he's stepping out into the free air knowing that he's going to have to go to prison uh, next month. I mean, it's 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 a big moment there. So I don't fault him necessarily, Parrish, for refusing to say no or choosing to say no. Um, he did follow up for whatever reason. I don't know if he instigated the communication. I don't know if Zagori instigated the communication. But my basic outlook on this, Parrish, after all this, is uh, this is becoming – this combined with the ESPN report of the phone call between Miller and Christian Dawkins, this is like now – the holy grail of drama and what did and what didn't happen and will evidence ever surface and this little thing that happened outside the courthouse is just adding on top of all of that but he is on the record now saying he doesn't he has no knowledge that Sean Miller knew that players were getting played etc cetera, etc cetera. but no he did not say that when he was asked directly face to face by Zagoria outside the courthouse. Right, and that was the only point of my tweet. And then he comes back at me on Twitter, not comes back in an aggressive way. I think he was just trying to clarify. And he's like, but Gary, I did say no. And so then, obviously, a whole bunch of Arizona fans are like, see, Paris, you didn't know what you were talking about. No, there's a timeline here. The timeline is Book Richardson was asked whether he believed Sean Miller was new, whether he believed Sean Miller knew Arizona players were getting paid. To that question outside the courtroom, he did not say no. He just said, you, uh, you got to ask Sean Miller about that. You know, I, I'm on trial. He's not on trial. I reacted to that. And then after I reacted to that, Book Richardson sent a direct message to Adam Zagoria with a statement that says, I have no knowledge of Sean Miller paying players or attempting to pay them. So that comes after I've already said, well, why didn't you just say the no the first time? Which still, like... It's true. Like, why not just say that the first time you're asked the question? I can't begin to guess why he didn't. Perhaps he's got good reasons, but he did not say no the first time, mm-hmm. which was my only point. If the answer is simply no, why don't you just simply say no? Just like, frankly, Will Wade at the SEC meetings, 
he was asked if money had ever been exchanged between um, himself or a staff member and a prospect or somebody connected to a prospect. And he, I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was just like, you know, well, we talked about all this. If the answer is no, just say no. It was an absurd response, Parrish. Well, Will, Will Way said, and what he didn't say was way worse than what Book said or didn't say. I'll, I, I agree. Yeah. So, like, that, that, I, the same point I would make about Will Wade is the point I'm making a book, about Book Richardson. If the answer to the question is no, just say no. Watch this. Norlander, ask me if I've ever molested a child. All right, Gary Parrish, have you ever molested a child? No, I've never molested a child. I've never done anything wrong to a child. That's the way you answer that question, if that's the truth. So when somebody says, has any money exchanged between the LSU staff and LSU players? If the answer is no, you just say no. Hey, Book, do you think Sean knew Arizona players were getting paid? If the answer is no, the normal thing to do is just say no. But either way, he did come back and, and then just, boom, put a statement out. I don't have any knowledge of Sean Middle paying players or attempting uh, to pay them. So that's that. And so now what we're left with is a wiretap and a statement taken roughly two months, uh, two years apart that completely contradict each other. Because on a wiretap, um, Book Richardson is oh and by the way let me back up real quick mm-hmm. so once once book tweets at me and says gary i said i said no then i after i figured out he subsequently released a statement to zags i responded and i said i was reacting strictly to the words said outside of the courthouse not some direct message you later sent but either way i guess now the obvious question is why are you reportedly on a wiretap saying sean miller did buy players saying sean miller did know that players were being paid why are you reportedly on a wiretap from 2017 saying something completely opposite than the statement that you released today and to that surprise surprise i got no answer and i had somebody on twitter say this man just had a life-changing day and you think he's supposed to just be answering your questions no i actually don't it's why i didn't just randomly reach out to book richardson but if he's going to reach out to me trying to clarify something then I'm going to be happy to give him an opportunity to clarify everything. Hey, if you wanted to clarify that you actually did say no, I don't believe Sean Miller was paying players or attempting to pay them, you want to clarify that? Well, then clarify this. Hey, why you're, why you're out here on Twitter clarifying things, clarify this. Why are you reportedly on a wiretap in 2017 saying Sean Miller bought DeAndre Ayton and Sean Miller was taking care of Raleigh Hawkins? What? No, no answer to that. So we're left there. But we do have, he don't want to clarify that one for some reason. But we, so we're left with the wiretap of Book Richardson saying one thing and the statement today of Book Richardson saying the opposite thing. Now, obviously, both those things can't be true. So where we're at is trying to figure out when was Book telling the truth and when was Book lying. And what Arizona fans would have you believe is that Book Richardson was lying on the wiretap just talking you know just talking like book talks and he's telling the truth today when he says he doesn't have any knowledge of sean miller paying players or attempting to pay them um but my question is why why would he be lying on the wiretap why when he didn't know anybody was listening would he have been lying and dinos trigonis um who works in the grassroots scene tweeted me 
earlier today, and he said, Gary, have you never in private conversation exaggerated, used hyperbole, you know, done any of those things, implying that's what Book Richardson was doing? And my response was, of course, in private conversations, I've exaggerated and used hyperbole. I host a two-hour radio show every day. I exaggerate every day. I use hyperbole every day. I'm a storyteller. Any storyteller is going to exaggerate and use hyperbole. I plead guilty to that. But I think it's vastly different than in private conversation saying that my coworker slash friend is breaking a rule or a law that could cost him his job. So when I'm telling a story in private or public, I might exaggerate, use hyperbole, but I swear to God, hand to heart, I cannot ever remember privately or publicly saying that a coworker or friend is breaking a rule or law that if he's caught, it would cost him his job. Unless, of course, I did have a friend or a coworker who was breaking a rule or a law who, if he got caught, he would cost him his job. I've never just made that up about somebody. So where the comparison falls apart is Book Richardson wasn't just exaggerating something or using hyperbole. He was either lying about Sean Miller buying players on that wiretap or he was telling the truth about Sean Miller buying players on that wiretap. This is not a case of exaggeration or hyperbole. Like he said it was $40,000 and it was really $400. That's not what we're dealing with here. This is not a case of exaggeration or hyperbole. This is a case of the man is either lying or he's telling the truth. Sean Miller either bought players or he didn't. Sean Miller either knew that players were being bought or he didn't. And so that's what we have to figure out. But the idea that this is somehow just book talking and exaggerating a little bit, that ain't the way people talk or exaggerate. I mean, it's entirely conceivable. Um I did not know Book personally before this. He just happened to be an assistant that I did not uh, cross paths with at any point. Um, but uh, Book had a reputation, uh, frankly, for lying in, in certain areas or at certain times. It's possible to goose up his own value to Dawkins and to these investors who he did not know, but for all he knew were like guys that uh, – it was a, a woman and a man, both undercover agents, that people that were going to only continue to pay him – if he could, uh, if he could deliver big, and he was even uh, caught saying, "I'm going to underpromise and overdeliver." Um, so it's it's when it's Dawkins and Richardson on a phone call together, and they've known each other a while. Why would you, Parrish? I don't have an answer for you with that. Right. So the points you bring up are obviously legitimate. They are points uh, that are going to be at the, uh, I think, at the heart of the NCAA's. Uh, investigation into Arizona, a formal one of which is is underway. The judge even asked the government about that, uh, if that was the case, that that was actually happening. The government said yes, based on what it knew at this stage. So, um, yeah, I mean, the next question comes is this. Well, well, let me add add this. I I, want to be as fair as I can be while also being as honest as I can be. Um, I I don't rule out it's possible that, that... that Book Richardson was just lying on the wiretap, just making things up. It's it's not it doesn't seem believable to me that version of this because again, I can't imagine talking privately and being like, yeah, you know, Matt Norlander is scamming CBS out of 
you know, $20,000 a month. <laughs> How dare make, you? You know, like I can't imagine saying that unless it's true. Right. Like I can't imagine saying about a friend or a coworker, about my boss, he is doing something that if he's ever caught doing it, it will cost him his job. Unless the guy's actually doing that. So it's inconceivable to me, but I don't, I don't rule it out as a possibility as remote of a possibility as I believe it to be. And I'll also add this detail. Now, this is Dawkins' words um, on Wiretap where he's, he says at one point uh, that Sean and Book hate each other. If that was, I doubt it was actual hate, but there was probably just you work with someone. I mean, Parrish and I can attest to this. Obviously, you work with someone for a long time, and there's no, no but there can be professional tensions. And I even had a couple. I think sure. I mentioned this on a podcast. Like I even had a, a coach mention to me because this when that got brought up, I actually got a few text messages that that day. I remember being like, "Yeah, man, when you're on the same staff with people, and you're like in the heat of like recruiting and trying to win games, like sometimes you'll just go through a week where you like can't stand each other." So I don't know if that leads to Book uh, talking bad about Sean because of that or in spite of that. I don't know the answer to that. Here's, my, here's the, what I was going to get to, though, Parrish. Mm-hmm. The question now becomes, and Richardson's going to spend time in prison this year. He'll get out this year. The NCAA investigation is going to take longer. Like, will Richardson choose to talk to the NCAA and all, and all of this? Because I think if he does, I think that's a pivotal thing. And the reason why I ask that as a potential legitimate question is this. You know, the L.A. Times spoke briefly with Tony Bland on Wednesday night. Bland got only probation, former USC coach. Uh, he only took $4,100. His involvement in this is certainly not nearly the extent of Richardson, right? Um, but Bland said that he would be willing to talk to the NCAA about whatever they need to talk about. And he is under no, absolutely no impulse need mandate to do so because uh, all of these coaches who have been pinched in this um, I won't say never. I won't say it's impossible. We might look up 15 years from now, and they wind up as a third assistant in a single-bid league. Who knows, right, Parrish? But it is it is hard to see how men who admitted to bribery to steer student-athletes uh, to getting a job in college basketball coaching again. Their lawyer said as much. Everyone understands that. But Blant said that he is willing to talk to the NCAA, and that is obviously going to be critical. Will Richardson choose to do the same? Will Lamont Evans choose to do the same or Chuck Person? Because I tell you this, we're talking about Richardson because he's the most high profile. Arizona's the biggest program, and he's the first that got arrested, first that got sentenced. But if you're listening to this Friday by any chance, before or after Lamont Evans' sentencing, uh, I spoke with Bland's lawyer who coincidentally happened to be in the courtroom today because he was dealing with another case, but he was obviously there Wednesday with Bland. And he told me that given what happened to Richardson, if he was Lamont Evans, he would be nervous because he doesn't see how Evans gets a worse sentence. And then, GP, just real quick here, you know, Chuck Person, we haven't talked much about him because his was a separate deal altogether. He pled guilty to accepting more than $90,000 in bribes. Book Richardson was at 20000 Lamont Evans in the $20,000 range. So what I think is going to be the big picture takeaway here whenever a person gets sentenced is you're going to have three assistant coaches at three significant you know, power conference schools who wound up serving prison time. And I do think that winds up being uh, a big takeaway from this, even if they're not household names. And I do think that has, whenever we get the answers from the NCAA down the road, I think that has 
real impact, when you have tangible action, unprecedented action from the government, whether you agree with it or you don't, whether you think the fact that the judge thinks that the University of Arizona and the University of Southern California were victims and he has said as much of this is going to help these schools or not, I think the actual incarceration level and the growth of sentences that I think we're going to get from Evans and then down the road later this summer with Person, I think they're going to have big impact. And uh, and that's when it, like, it's all been real, Parrish, but once you got cooked, like, these guys are going to jail for this stuff. Part of me actually finds it even still hard to believe even though it's happening. So your question is, will Book Richardson ever talk to the NCAA? And I guess I would answer it this way. Um, no, unless he's just going to take a bullet for Sean Miller and for Arizona in general. Unless he's determined to just say what went on in that program outside of the NCAA rulebook was on me and only me and nobody else knew anything about it. Because that's the only thing that would line up with what he appears to be willing to do, which is protect Sean Miller. And, and I, 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 when I say protect Sean Miller, it, it implies that he's protected him from something. Perhaps, again, it is true that Sean Miller knew nothing. Maybe it's true. But if, you know, he seems to be centered on that now. And so the only reason to talk to the NCAA is if you wanted to double down on that and just say, you cannot hit my man. He didn't know what was going on. I wronged him. I betrayed him. I put him in an awful situation, um, and 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 you try to help him in that way. But short of that, there's no reason for Book Richardson to talk to the NCAA. So let me make this point. Um, I, I mean, ultimately, that's what all of these online debates now come down to. Was Book Richardson being honest when he didn't know there was a wiretap, didn't know who was listening, and he's calling that wiretap saying Sean Miller was buying players. Sean Miller was taking care of players. Or was he being honest today when he said he has no knowledge of Sean Miller doing that? I, I, you know where I stand on it. I just find the idea that he's on a wiretap just making up things about Sean Miller. I find that difficult to believe. Particularly when you line it up against what we know for sure. What is undeniable. And here is what is undeniable. And I know that you understand all this, but for people listening, I think it's important to just line it all up. Here's what we know. Here's what we know. Arizona, in addition to signing elite-level classes all the time, did sign DeAndre Ayton. We, he was the number one prospect in his class, or at least a consensus top three prospect in his class. We know that there was a market for him because an Adidas consultant, TJ Gasnola, said that he paid one of Ayton's friends the legend Larnell shouts to Larnell, 15 grand just to try to get Kansas involved. We know that TJ Gillisnola in a text message, while explaining to Kansas coach Bill Self, I work for Kansas, Adidas cares about Kansas above anybody else, it's Kansas and then everybody else. We know that in the context of these conversations, TJ Gasnola actually apologized to Bill Self or at least said, I've never let you down except for the DeAndre Ayton situation. The implication being the only time I couldn't get a deal done for you was on DeAndre Ayton, LOL. So we know that Adidas was trying to buy DeAndre Ayton for Kansas. We know that. It's undeniable. We know that somebody connected to DeAndre Ayton got paid. That's undeniable. And we know that DeAndre Ayton went to Arizona. And I guess it is deniable, if you want to deny it, 
that he was compensated or the people around him were compensated in any way. But good luck convincing any normal person of that. Again, Adidas was trying to buy him for Kansas, but he went to Arizona for nothing. Most people aren't going to believe that. So if we can, for the sake of the conversation, agree that somebody compensated somebody to get DeAndre Ayton to go to Arizona, then the question becomes, well, who did that? And Book Richardson's on a wiretap saying it was Sean Miller. And Christian Dawkins, when asked outside of the courtroom, does he think Sean Miller program was being run outside of the rule book that Sean Miller knew about players being paid or was paying players. He, similarly to the way Book Richardson answered the question outside the courtroom today, said something along the lines of, um, I'm not going to answer that question because if I answer that question, it could cost Sean Miller his job. And I'm not trying to cost Sean Miller his job. Um, it's a little bit like the, you know, the, the analogy I was making, uh, if somebody who worked hand-in-hand hand with me was being asked about me, hey, do you think Gary Parrish has ever molested children? Listen, I'm not going to answer that question because if I answer that question, it could cost Gary Parrish's job. Dude, just say no. Just say no. And if you can't say no, why can't you say no? Usually, if you can't say no, the reason is because the answer is yes. That's usually the, the reason you can't say no. Because the answer is yes. Christian Dawkins had an opportunity when he was asked, do you think Sean Miller knew players were getting paid? He could have just said, no, I don't think Sean Miller knew. But he said, I can't answer that question because if I answer that question, it might cost Sean Miller his job. Not to mention he was also on a wiretap um, talking about Sean Miller, says things on the phone, talks about things that he shouldn't be talking about on the phone. So when you line all of this up, like, which version of the events is more believable? It seems pretty clear to me which one is more believable. And so the question becomes, okay, but then why would Book Richardson be trying to cover? For, let's assume that Book Richardson is right now covering for Sean Miller. He's decided that's what he's doing. Why would he do that? If somebody asked you that question, Orlando, what would you say? My, my instinct for that answer is that he and I'm, I'm interested to see if you have a different answer or the same answer. Why would Book Richardson cover for Sean Miller? Because uh, of the care, love, and respect that he has for the players, and that he doesn't want the, he doesn't want to ruin the kids' lives, their eligibility, any things that they might get involved in. I that would be my answer. I'm, in, I'm interested to see if you have the same one because of this, and I'll throw it right back to you. You know, we found out today in court that Book Richardson and his lawyer were important, if not crucial, to Villanova vetting Javon Quinterly's eligibility status at that school after he decommitted from Arizona. Book Richardson was not mandated to do that, but he did it. He helped out Villanova, he and his lawyer, to basically get Quinterly being eligible. It's why I wonder you know, whether or not he ultimately goes and helps with the NCAA and all this because of the player factor. But anyway, what's your thought on it? That could be right. Um, I wouldn't rule it out. I do think Book probably cares for Sean in some way and cares for uh, the players in some way. Just because you do something wrong by somebody doesn't mean that you don't care for those people. I think sometimes people try to paint black or white. You wrong this person, so you must not care about them at all. No, sometimes you just do bad things to people. Sometimes you do unfair things to people. 
sometimes you do wrong by people, but it doesn't mean you don't love them, you don't care about them, you just got twisted up for whatever reason. So I could certainly see all that. I could also see this. You were in the courtroom today. Seems like they made it pretty clear how difficult it is for Book Richardson to have gainful employment. I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, he hasn't had a full-time job since he was arrested. He has not had a full-time job since he was arrested. He apparently was turned down to work at a Starbucks, and he has been working for 40 to $50 an hour this year, training 7- to 14-year-olds. The 14-year-old cutoff is important. He is training uh, players in basketball before they can actually be recruitable by uh, NCAA-sanctioned schools. So that is what he's been doing. And I'll let you continue your thought here, GP, but it's, uh, it's just a telling anecdote, a telling detail. His wife, apparently, and we didn't get more details on this in court, and I did not ask her about it, but she had to move back from Arizona to New York for some reason, for gainful employment to help the family with its finances. Like, things have been dire for the Richardson family. Continue. I would assume so. And so, let me stop talking about Book right now and just talk about me. If I were in Book Richardson's situation, let's see that I was committing NCAA violations, working for a high major program, high major boss, and now I'm I'm fired, I'm arrested, I'm going to jail for three year, three months, and I'm probably never going to have a job like the job I already had. And I got the goods on this guy. I, I could ruin, I could end his career. All I got to do is sit down with the NCAA and I could say, of course, Sean Miller knew what I was doing and Sean Miller was doing it himself. You heard me on the wiretaps. I told, I was, I said on the wiretaps, the truth. I didn't know you guys were listening, but it's the truth. Sean Miller bought DeAndre Ayton. Sean Miller was taking care of Raleigh Hawkins. If Book Richardson went and sat down with the NCAA and said those words, it's probably game, set, match for Sean Miller. Probably. I only say probably because, like, who knows? Arizona's been pretty um, understanding to date. But I would think it's probably game, set, match. And so if I were Book Richardson and I had that kind of hammer to hang over somebody, you could swing it. But then how does it benefit you at all? Sure, you bring down somebody with you, and maybe fair is fair, but how does that change your circumstances in any way? But you could not swing it, and that person knows you're not swinging it, and that's probably the only person in this world you still have a relationship with or still know at the very least who makes millions of dollars a year, millions of dollars per year. And maybe one way or another, because this stuff does go on, um, if you're willing to take the bullet, you, that person could help you not get your mm. house repos- you know, um, yeah. your house closed on someday. If you're thinking just big picture, I could bring down Sean Miller, but why? And if I don't bring down Sean Miller, maybe he'll never forget that I didn't bring him down. I mean, that's just that's it, total hypothetical. I'm not alleging that. But if I were in Book Richardson's shoes, would I be thinking along those lines? Maybe. Yeah, it's possible. Uh, but Arizona. And let, and- let me say this again. Forget them, set them aside. I, I know of assistant coaches and, um, you know, uh, administrative people who have absolutely taken the blame when NCAA violations occurred and insisted their boss knew nothing because their boss told them in whatever roundabout way you got to tell somebody, you're you're done no matter what so you take you you die and i'll make it worth your while you die you save me i'll make it worth your while 
it, it, that has I, I could give you off the podcast an ex, at least one example where I know an assistant coach did that. And so perhaps that's the only reason it's in my head is because I know what's happened before. But if I were in Book Richardson's shoes, I might be thinking along those lines. All right. You want to move on? We got some hoop topics you want to hit on here or you want to keep going? Because <laughs> we have we've been No, I, uh, I don't think I have much else to say about this. Plus, it's been uh, we've been talking about this for a long time. I guess I would just bottom line it this way. It, it's possible we're, you know, we're never going to get clear answers to any of this. And, um, you know, because the NCAA is not a great investigating body. Um, most of, if not all of the Arizona players who could have possibly been tied up in this stuff are now outside of the NCAA window. So they, like Book Richardson, do not have to talk to the NCAA. And it, it's, it's possible, if not probable, that this is always going to look a certain way, just like the stuff at LSU is always going to look a certain way, and yet the NCAA will not have the evidence it feels like it's need, it needs to really hammer um, the program in a way that causes or creates a coaching change. Um, so, you know, we'll see. But I will say this, just for people who wonder if we talk about this too much or, um, you know, if we're hammering home, uh, if we're connecting dots that it's unfair to connect. Every time we talk about this kind of stuff, whether it's at LSU or Arizona, or the Silvio D'Souza stuff last week at Kansas when we pointed out that, like, I don't have a problem with the young man being ruled eligible because there's no evidence that he knew what was going on. But the idea that Kansas is this season going to be able to benefit from a player that it was bought for Kansas does seem kind of crazy. Every time we talk about these things, I'll get a phone call or four, a text message or 12 from a college coach. And sometimes it's head coaches. Often it's head coaches. Because they're the ones that really, the ones that care about this, they really care about this. And, I mean, I'm talking about guys who coach in the same league as Will Wade, head coaches. Guys who coach in the same league as Sean Miller, head coaches. Guys who coach in the same time zone as Sean Miller, head coaches. And I think some of them reach out to you too. And they say, please keep talking about this. Don't let them off the hook. It's shameful that they're getting away with this stuff. They, they, we finally had a situation where they are basically caught. We've got men on wiretaps incriminating themselves and incriminating head coaches, their bosses. And these guys are still working. And it's insane to too many of us in our profession. Please don't stop writing about this. Please don't stop talking about this. And, and so I know Arizona fans are tired of it, and I know LSU fans are tired of it. But I also know that prominent figures within the sport um, are bothered by the fact that the only head coach to lose his job over any of this stuff in the past two years has been Rick Pitino. Yep, and as we move on, I'll just close with this. What you're getting at there is, I think, at the philosophical heart of the challenge that still awaits the NCAA's Committee on Infractions and its Enforcement Division because there is a lot to get to, and no matter what punishments are meted out, I think criticism toward that body and the targeted schools are inevitable. So, switching gears, there were rule changes announced earlier this week to the sport of college basketball. We're going to get to them next, but first, check this out. 
The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. So there were some rule changes announced earlier this week, most notably that the three-point line is moving back about 17 inches to the international line. Norlander, I'll let you start. What does this mean for the sport of college basketball? You always like to throw these big, <laughs> you always like to throw these big questions on me, and I gladly take them. It means I, – I don't know how much it means, to be honest. I mean, it's, it's a change the college basketball, I think, is better for. Um, I don't think that we will look up in five years, Parrish, and see three-point rate has dipped back down to 2004-type levels. Um, it is a significant adjustment in terms of the distance of the shot, but if you're a good perimeter shooter, I mean, obviously, it's not just Steph Curry, but he is obviously the one that has pointed to so much for the growth of the game and the way that, you know, nine-year-olds want to play. They want to play like Steph Curry. I get all of that. I think it's actually deeper than just that, but he is the symbol and forever will be. We'll look back 50 years from now and say the three-point revolution, if you could boil it down to one person, Steph Curry, Davidson, Golden State Warriors, he changed it all. So I think that you could get uh, cosmetically some, some play back more in the mid-range game. I mean, I don't know how many people watch college basketball or pro basketball to see how good the mid-range game is. But if you take it on the whole and you see how offenses are run and how they're run beautifully, like if you get really adroit offensive minds that can really use the space well, then yeah, it can be a lot of fun. And what I think we will see happen is next year and the year after, the coaches that know that if you give me even just you know a little bit more space here, just uh, from initially when it was, what, 19 feet and 9 inches to a foot further back, for what it's been, what, the past 11, 12 years, and now you're bumping it back even further by more than a foot. You just give them that much more space. Uh, I think the sharp minds with the right amount of players, with the right kind of players, I should say, will make a big difference. I'm in favor of it. I have to believe that you are in favor of it as well. Um, that was the big one. Uh, just a couple other quick ones. The shot clock will reset on offense on an offensive rebound to 20 seconds instead of 35. GP, I'm as in for that as I am the three-point shot because that gets more possessions in for a game, more scoring opportunities, higher scores, more action. I'm all for that. A big-time fan of that rule change. Um, also, coaches can now call timeouts in the final two minutes of overtime in regulation. If it's a, what, 
dead uh, if it's a live ball i'm not on board with that but whatever coaches were always going to win that battle back that's been a tug of war for the past few years and the lsu kentucky ending from last season most famously or infamously uh the controversial goaltend issue now uh when there will be goaltending or basket interference in the final two minutes uh, of any of the second half or overtime that will be subject to review as well i think that's the right call i don't think it's going to be an issue we see a pop up a bunch in fact i'd say in Games of note, national televised or high-profile games. I think you might get two or three of these a season. So I think that that's, uh, that is those are all good rules here. So the stuff that has been officially adopted in, I think, are all beneficial. I don't think in any way uh, are problematic or set college basketball back. Do you agree or disagree? I agree with with most of that, if not all of that. Um, moving the three-point line back, you know, they experimented with it in the NIT last season, and what they found is that. Um, the attempts actually went up. Um, now, the percentage went slightly down, but it was all minor. So in the 2019 regular season, teams attempted 22.8 three-pointers per game and made 35.2% of them. In the NIT, where they had the uh, three-point line backed up to where it will be now, teams attempted 23.1 per game, but only made 33%. So they made they attempted more but made a lower percentage. But I, I do think, you know, it's also like it's a massive sample size against a much smaller sample size. So um, from talking to coaches about this, what they believe is that it won't f- affect the number of attempts too much and it won't affect the number of makes too much, but it will create space that makes for a, m- a more visually pleasing game. Um, it'll open up driving lanes. It'll allow people to more regularly get into the paint, to get to the rim, and it's going to be a better version of basketball. And so I'll trust that they're right. It'll be a better version of basketball. And if we can agree that the NBA three-point line opens up space to play in, then um, then this is a move in the right direction. Um, as for the shot clock resetting at 20 on offensive rebounds, I'm completely for that. I've, I'm for, I, I wish the shot clock was 24 seconds. Mm-hmm. And so they're not going to go to that, but rather than reset to 30, resetting to 20 on offensive rebounds, just like you said, it's going to increase the number of possessions. I'm for a basketball game with an increased number of possessions. So I'm down with that as well. And I believe it was, wasn't it John, who got screwed on the goal 10 in Kentucky LSU? It was Kentucky, right? <laughs> of course it was Kentucky, my man. Right. Okay. Okay. I didn't really remember the specifics of it. I still don't at this moment. But the, what I do remember is afterward, John Calipari saying, "If we have the devices to, if we have the ability to review this, why wouldn't we review it?" And I remember thinking, "Well, that's going to get changed <laughs> because he's he's the type who can get things changed." And so here we are. Yeah. I actually, I thought that the impetus to change this would have come even a cycle sooner because this is also what allowed UCLA to beat SMU to win a tournament game and it didn't quite happen then happens to Kentucky and it has happened to others but Kentucky was the high profile I mean we we dedicated many podcast minutes and 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 national television shows did as well so I'm not uh uh, I'm not surprised at that, although I will say this. So the the NCAA release, here's the exact language. It said, the committee cited the following rationale for extending the line. 
I, just to go back to three-point line real quick here. Making the lane more available for dribble by, drive plays for the perimeter, which is great. It's one of those things where on a play-by-play -play basis, you're not going to be able to say, well, if the three-point line was in on that, then they wouldn't have had that dunk. No, but when you look at the data, I think that's going to be undeniable. But how about this? It says, slowing the trend of three point shot of the three-point shot becoming too prevalent in men's college basketball by making the shot a bit more challenging while at the same time keeping the shot an integral part of the game. This is nonsense, okay? That's the one part of the release I also said – this is that's nonsense. It it's is not. Yeah, it's go ahead. I I don't even like the mindset of of the sentence. The the I this notion that well the NBA has become like a three point frenzy. We don't need college basketball getting into all these shenanigans. Uh, it to varying degrees and collectively three point shooting has never been more popular, but. There have been coaches that have taken advantage of the three-point shot, as they should. The three-point shot is freaking awesome. I don't care if we get to a state of basketball where dudes are jacking it up uh, twice as much as they are now. It would actually be... Uh it would be an odd phenomenon if it ever got to, like, you know, I'm using hyperbole here, obviously kind of circling back to what we talked about earlier. But college basketball and its gatekeepers don't need to worry about the three-point shot becoming too prevalent. It's not a crutch. It's an exciting facet of the game. It's responsible. Frankly, it feels like for half of the memorable buzzer beaters we've ever even had in the sport. So if you want to make it a little more challenging and do and put it in for all sorts of reasons, that's fine. But this is a stodgy, stale reasoning uh, that if I was copy-editing this release I would have been like get this out of here this is why like people pick on college basketball to a certain degree sometimes because you have this kind of thinking where it's like well we can't have this it's too much like the NBA or it's too much like this or it's like that no the three-point shot is awesome and if people are good at it they're going to shoot it and if they're not you know what nature finds its way within basketball coaches find their way you don't need to be using that as the reasoning for why you you know wouldn't maybe want to think about not implementing a longer three-point distance um, I agree. Like, you know, I like three pointers. I, you know, it's just, it'd, it'd be like if in a, a press release, they were like, we're doing this thing to try to cut down on alley-oops. <laughs> no, man, keep those. Those are fun. It's this parish. And we, I, we don't have to go on a tangent here. I know we're going long for an off season podcast, but it's what we do best. But it, it would be like, it feels like, and this is right in your real house. If baseball came out with legislation that said, you know what? We're good with uh, with light bat flips, but more than one rotation of the bat, like we just don't feel like too much celebration is good for the game. No, bat flips and home run celebrations are freaking awesome, and baseball needs to embrace it because for the same reason sometimes people will poke fun at college basketball deficiencies. It's why people consistently uh, poke fun and criticize and lampoon baseball because you got these stupid rules where dudes are throwing baseball at, at each other's heads, which I think we're going to look back on in 50 years and be like, what? was this idiocy and every other sport allows for some modicum of celebration but if you crack a homer if you send a ball out there 437 feet you're not allowed to stare at it for three seconds it's really one of the most absurd things in all of sports i'm with you i'm for bat flips i'm for dunks i'm for three pointers bring it all on and so um i don't think they're right to think that moving the line back is going to be a deterrent to shooting them um but i'm glad they're wrong because I don't think the sport is better off with fewer uh, three pointers. I think that like I enjoy watching when it when a team gets hot makes fifteen three pointers in a game. When a kid gets hot makes five, you know three in a row. That's all fun. I every time I ever witness something like that, I I remember walking away going, man, that was a fun. Uh, yeah. Basketball game. So um, I at least hope that the coaches who think this will be a deterrent, I hope they're wrong because. Um, 
fewer three-pointers I don't think is the trick to making college basketball better. Last thing before we get out of here. The Westgate Superbook updated its odds to win the 2020 NCAA tournament earlier this week, and you and I were talking off-air, and you told me you know that Michigan State is now the favorite, but you really don't know anything else, which is perfect because I want to see uh, what catches you by surprise and what doesn't. Michigan State is now the favorite. And by the way, on the night the odds originally posted, you know, shortly after the championship game of the 2019 NCAA tournament, Michigan State was not the favorite. Kentucky was the favorite to win the national championship that night. Michigan State is now the favorite at 6-1. to one. They, of course, returned three of the top four scores from a 32-win team that won the Big Ten regular season title, Big Ten tournament title, and went to the Final Four. They're also number one in the top 25-1, and one, so this all makes sense. Who do you think has got the second-best odds in the country? All right, I don't know the answer to this. Um... <laughs> uh, the way you said it, I won't say the way you said it makes me want to say Memphis, but I'm not going to say Memphis. I will say uh, two teams. Two teams. I'll say Kentucky. Oh, so there are two teams. Yes. I'll just then I'll just say Kentucky and Duke are tied for second. Exactly right. Michigan State's the favorite at six to one. Kentucky and Duke both with the next best odds at ten to one. Okay. The top three spots, four and five, are up next. They both have the same odds, twelve to one. Name the two teams. All right, so I'm going to say Memphis here. Am I right? Yeah, Memphis is one of them. Okay, which is just crazy in and of itself. And then, so I'm thinking about how I talked about my top five, your top five last week, see if there's anyone else. You know what, though? Let me go off the board a little bit here. Do they, are they going to be, are they ambitious? Is Virginia the other team? It's not Virginia. It's Kansas. And this is okay. great ammo for the Kansas fans who think I'm dumb for having Kansas outside of the top ten. Um, it's just as good an ammo for the people who have Memphis 19th. Shouts to Rob Doster. Um, Memphis has the fourth best odds, for, you know, tied for fourth best odds in the entire country. Having them 19th doesn't really line up with that. But also, I've got Kansas outside of the top ten, and Vegas has Kansas with the fourth best odds tied with Memphis in the country. Okay, so is the next grouping, because I want to guess one more round here, is the next grouping one or more than one team? The next grouping is at 16 to 1. It's two schools, and it, they basically represent the spots that would be 6 and 7 in the country. Well, then I have to think Louisville is one of them. Incorrect, which wow. is surprising to me. Okay. Louisville is one of the undervalued teams. There's another undervalued team here, but Louisville certainly would be on my undervalued list. I remember I had Maryland high. I don't think Maryland is one of those teams because I don't think Vegas would be that aggressive on them. So if it's not them, it's not – hold on. Okay, so now can I invoke Virginia? Is Virginia there? Not Virginia. Wow, okay. Uh, Carolina? Yes, Carolina is one of them. All right, so if it's Carolina and then – how easy is the other team? Is it relatively easy or kind of a kind of a difficult one? I would not have them this high, but their track record in recent years suggests that they deserve the benefit of the doubt. Uh, I would say Villanova. It is Villanova. Okay. Sixteen to one, North Carolina and Villanova. Then at twenty to one, Virginia, Gonzaga, Louisville, and Oregon. And then at twenty five to one, you get a group of Texas Tech, Maryland, and Ohio State. Hmm. Okay. And then if you continue for a minute, at 30 to 1, Arizona. At 40 to 1, you get a list of Auburn, Tennessee, Florida, and Seton Hall. And then at 50 to 1, you get a combination of Michigan and Baylor. Seton Hall. Um, 
the best value, uh, I think, of all those teams you mentioned in the back end of the past six or seven, I think the best value is Florida, I think. But even at that point, like, you know, there's there's still such long odds. All right, here's my question for you. Mm-hmm. How much when it comes to Vegas, and I'm not I'm not bringing this up for like you know you to to puff your chest or for anyone else that does these rankings, but like let's just say that you and ESP let's just you know you ESPN um, I don't know just pick like two or three other mainstream uh, off season polls. Let let's see the the rankings weren't out there. Okay, this is you know 15 years ago and the rankings weren't out there. Do you think that Michigan State would still be the odds-on favorite in Vegas if the polls didn't exist? Or do you think that those polls dictate uh, Vegas uh, setting those odds based on what, the, however they set them or if they're just basing off public reaction, uh, given that the public will check sites like ours to, to, to gauge the, the rankings? I know that's kind of a loaded question, but I almost feel like no. there might be a, a, the, a tail wagging the dog here. I, I think the preseason AP poll and the preseason coaches poll is largely determined, and I don't say this just to pat myself on the back because I don't think it's just me, but I think it is largely determined by me, Rob Doster, Jeff Borzello, Jeff Goodman, and anybody else who puts out these preseason rankings. I think we shape it. Undeniably, we shape it because what do people do? They pick up here, – because here's the way it happens. We post all our stuff in April, and then we update it as it needs updating, and then the preseason magazines come out, and – they base their stuff somewhat on what we've done. And then the AP poll like looks at the magazines, which looked at us, and then the AP poll comes out and it's it's yeah. a reflection, at least in some way, of what we did of what we decided back in April. Honestly, I don't think it's much different than mock drafts. You know, people put together NBA mock drafts. And I promise you everybody who puts one together, at the very least, looks at Jonathan Gavoni's at ESPN. And if you think Nasir Little should be third or fourth, but Gavoni's now got him outside of the top ten, it, it influences what the other mock drafts do. And so I think all of this stuff is, whether it's intentional or unintentional, I think all of it is connected in some way. And so to circle it back to these odds, I guess I'd say this. It has to be a reaction somewhat to every preseason ranking basically having Michigan State number one, because think about – what has changed since the end of the season? Michigan State is the same team they were supposed to That's be. That's right. Nothing's That's right. changed from the roster. Well, I thought Nick Ward. Actually, I thought Nick Ward would come back. That's the only change that I. I didn't think that he would not be a part of the team. That's all. Okay. Well, then that should be something to hurt them. Right. But but their odds actually got better. Right. And then so who, so who did they drop behind? I mean, who did Michigan State jump rather? Kentucky. Well, what is the news Kentucky's gotten since the end of the season? Nothing but good news. Everybody Kentucky lost, you could you knew they were losing when the season was over. And yet since the season was over, they've added a grant transfer. They've added a five-star and a four-star. They got Ashton Hagens back in school. So really, nothing but good things have happened for Kentucky since the end of the season. And nothing but one possibly minor but bad thing has happened for Michigan State, and Michigan State jumped Kentucky. Why? I think it's a, I think it's somewhat tied to the fact that every preseason ranking has Michigan State as the favorite, so Vegas is making Michigan State the favorite. Yeah, and i i can't I can't talk myself off that they just 
right now, once we get through the games, then we adjust and we have fun with all that. We talk about it. But I, I cannot put any team above Michigan State as it's constituted, as it gets ready for next season. If if Kentucky gets Kerry Blackshear, then we reassess. But as things stand right now, they, I think they've got to be one. They don't feel like a consensus overpowering number one, but I, I do think that they are the, the sensible one. Yeah, I do too. And I, I also agree with you that if Kentucky gets Blackshear, then I don't know that I'll move Kentucky to one, but I'll definitely move Kentucky to two above Duke. And see, I got Kentucky. We've gone over this. We don't have right. to. Right. Got Kentucky too, anyway. Yeah, I, I, I cannot put Duke above Kentucky right now. It's yeah. totally reasonable. Totally reasonable. Um, but I think you could then reasonably put Kentucky over Michigan State because then they're that awesome combination of experienced and talented. Yeah. And that's a great thing to be in uh, in college basketball. But uh, we'll update them when they deserve to be updated. You ready yeah. to go watch hockey? Do you care about hockey at all? I care only when the Blackhawks are involved. I'm I'm definitely a casual drive-by Blackhawks fan because I'm just like uh, Chicago all things. So I will. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna have I'll have it on, but I'll have it on mute and uh, perish. I I actually am gonna watch the final part tonight. You know what's really what's been really really good? I don't know if you watched it or not. The Showtime Wu Tang documentary. Have you watched that? I have not. It is. It is really good. It is. Uh, it is real and the footage they have for back then and the the stories and anecdotes i mean it is right now i'm three-fourths of the way through it and if the fourth one is an average of the first three uh i think i'll call this a top 10 music documentary i've ever seen so anyway that's what i'm going to do with my night tonight i'm going to finish up the wu-tang documentary highly recommend it was on showtime so if you have showtime i think it's on demand there um good time stuff for any anyone who's even remotely into wu-tang even if you're not well first of all you freaking should be educate yourself on arguably the greatest rap group of all time uh really really good music doc i uh i'm the, the next thing on my list is finishing season two of killing eve i'm almost done but i have to finish it and um i want to watch when they see us the netflix miniseries i don't know what that is about the Central Park Five. Apparently, the reviews. Oh are yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, and it's caused like real, like a, a woman who's gone on to be a best-selling author, who played a prominent role in that case. I think she might have been a prosecutor. Has now been kicked off all these boards. Like this movie, this this miniseries has affected her life in a way that you know sometimes you know television shows can. It's like um, a little bit like when Hannibal Buress was, uh, you know, he's the one that got the whole Bill Cosby thing started. Right. Just by saying, like, you guys don't Bill Cosby rape people, right? And then people were like, Bill Cosby. He was like, go Google it when you get home. Next thing you know, everybody's Googling Bill Cosby. And next thing you know, Bill Cosby's being charged with crimes. And now Bill Cosby's in jail. Yeah. So sometimes entertainers or filmmakers can bring attention to this thing and, and, and like, really make people go, whoa, I didn't realize this. You can't work here no more. You can't be a part of this anymore. And that's what's happened to this woman. So I, I want to knock that out. The thing I finished this afternoon, um, uh, my next guest needs no introduction, the David Letterman Netflix series. You know, season two was released last Friday. Okay. And I, I went through and watched all five episodes. There's five episodes in season two. And it's basically him talking for about 50 minutes to to five different people and this season was kanye west um ellen degeneres tiffany haddish um lewis hamilton and melinda gates and like i'm i'm a huge kanye west fan i, I thought that was the least interesting one um, really? which i was surprised because i i thought that would I, that's obviously why i wanted I, that's yeah. the one i watched first 
but every other one, like on a surface level, I don't care anything about Lewis Hamilton. I didn't really know a whole lot about Melinda Gates. But I thought all of those conversations were super fun, interesting. And, and the Kanye West one was good, too. It's just there's nothing he said that I hadn't heard him say before because I've heard everything he's ever said. So I, I, I was le- less interested in that one as it was as I was watching it because there was just not a whole lot of new there. But the uh, the other ones were terrific. The Lewis Hamilton was great. The Melinda Gates one was great. So if you guys are looking for something to watch, something that you can digest pretty easily, it's just David Letterman on a stage talking to this person for the most part. Um, that's a good thing to dive into, particularly I, if you grew up like I grew up as a huge David Letterman fan. I, uh, I've i watched some of those. I'll get back to them eventually. Um, so real quick, uh, so Killing Eve is worth it? I don't even know what that stream's on. Is that on Netflix or... Well, the uh, first season's on Hulu right now. Okay. And season two just wrapped like two Sundays ago. And those episodes were on AMC every Sunday night. So what I had to do was watch season one on Hulu. And then season two is available on AMC.com. So if you just have gotcha. you know, your directory provider or whatever, you can watch them on there. So yeah, 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 it's worth it. I don't know. Like I'm not walking away from it going, ah, that's the best thing I've ever seen. But... It is. Um, I enjoy it. It's good. I've it's good. It's, it's interesting good and, and um, entertaining and good. Let me ask this real quick. Okay. Have you watched the Deadwood movie yet? I haven't. I so I've got see. I've got the fourth episode of the Wu Tang documentary. Then I will get. I was. I then I will get to the Deadwood movie. I definitely want to watch it. Have you seen it yet or no? No. I because I I think I've mentioned this to you either or maybe somebody else. But I watched Deadwood and I loved Deadwood and I remember all the characters, but I don't remember the story really. And so yeah. I don't have time to go back and watch the whole, you know, series. But what I can do is just go read synopsises of of the episodes or the seasons and get I think just reading it will spark my memory and then I'll then I'll be prepared to watch the movie. And I just haven't done that yet. But I want to do it um because the move the move A, I love Deadwood. It was really one of my favorite HBO series. And B, the reviews for the movie are great. People loved it. Glad to hear it because, yeah, that good series. But, yes, it is. You have to you have to lock in for different reasons. Like if you have to lock in, if you're watching, say, like a, a Breaking Bad or a Game of Thrones or even like a Lost. Deadwood, it's because it's, it's just a slow grind. The language is different. It's also like I think it's got more c- curse words per second than any show in, in the history of television. Um, but, but it is really, really good. I'm very much looking forward to that. I want to throw in one more show here. I don't know if I recommend it as much as it's like it is straight up bizarre. Have you seen The OA? It's on Netflix. Have you watched any of this show? No. Okay. It is a like don't don't even worry about it right now. Like it's a watch it when you fly to New York City kind of thing. Like wait till next season. It is bizarre. I finished the second season last night. It is about this woman who in the first season like you learn that she goes blind when she's young but she's got like supernatural powers and I don't want to spoil too much for you or the audience. It's worth it but it is it is weird man if you're just looking for something to mix up your viewing habits just to be like you know what i'm just gonna throw a curveball in here i recommend it but i think the show is like super polarizing because 
the first season's finale, when you watch it, you're like, what the hell just happened? What am I watching? And then you gotta, since season two has happened, you can hop right into it, and there's some satisfactory explanations for the season one finale. But just, you know, since we're on the subject of what we've been watching here, um, that's the one that I had time to squeeze in. It's only, I think it's eight episodes per season. I just finished that, that last night. It is weird stuff, but uh, but some good actors in it, and frankly, it's a storyline I've never seen in a television show before. I don't think it's a great show, but it's it's compelling. It makes you think, even if it's a little bit ridiculous. So just put that on the list for down the road there, and, and we'll talk about it at some point down the way. I'll add it to the list tonight. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle. He's a legend. Shouts to Larnell, my homie. And remember, go please subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts, rated favorably, five stars, nice comments. That's all I've ever asked from you. Please do that. And then either way, whether you do it or not, we're going to be back next week. Till then, take care.